podcast world. This is Caribbean Power Lunch, where we feature Black-owned businesses. I am your host, Kevin Valley, and today we are talking to a digital media strategist, a sales and customer success professional, and the founder and owner of Lazy Mass International. Just Lazy Mass, the carnival marketplace. Trina Delandro. Thanks for having me. Yes, well, thank you for being here, Trina. So, Trina, Carnival in Trinidad and Tobago finished almost a month now, but you are still here, and we're thankful that you are still here. Why are you still here? Because while Trinidad Carnival may be seasonal for most, my business is year-round. So, the time that I'm spending here in Trinidad after Carnival is preparing for 2020. 2020 Trinidad Carnival. Yes. So Lazy Mass's mission right now is to really bring carnival service providers and customers together in one unified platform. So the time that I'm spending here is really trying to tap into different carnival stakeholders from the mass band owners to costume designers to transportation providers and inform them of Lazy Mass's platform, the services that we offer from marketing, customer service, and a digital payment platform to get them to sign up. So that's the time and energy that we're spending here, even though the Carnival Trinidad 2019 season has ended. All right. Lovely. And I mean, that's an excellent pitch. I, I could tell you, you practice well or you're natural. We're going to go with natural. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. So everybody heard your accent just now. We know that's not a pure Caribbean accent. You know, there's some Caribbean in it. I appreciate the term pure. So yes, I do have a hybrid accent or as one of my Trini friends told me, you have a twang. A um, yeah, so it, it is a blend. So I was born in Houston, raised in Trinidad, went to Newton Girls. Shout out. Um, <laughs> we don't really shout out primary we, schools. We don't shout out. We not didn't, no? <laughs> no, no, uh, okay. primary cool, school. Cool, cool. Well, that's as far as I got in Trinidad. I took common entrance though, so yay me. Can I shout out St. Joseph Convent because I passed for that? I didn't go to. No? Okay, cool. So I then went back to Houston for middle school and then I spent my high school years in Qatar and Holland. So that explains the accent that no one can really place. So what were you doing in Qatar and Holland as school places as they are? Well, my dad was a petroleum engineer that worked for Amoco that then went to Qatar Petroleum and Shell, respectively. And so during those times when he was working in these lovely, very foreign countries we as his children and family had to trek along so that's how i ended up in qatar and holland I mean, but that must be nice though because i mean you're a little child and you're getting exposed to all these um first of all there's different languages and stuff and then these countries are so advanced technology and infrastructure and everything yes and no so the transition from trinidad back to houston because even though i was born there again i was only there for less than a year Trinidad to Houston was an, a nice jump because, again, most Trinidadians are aware of the U.S. American culture and most people want to go foreign. And when they think of foreign, they're thinking, you know, North America in some way, shape or form. So that was a relatively easy transition. The transition from Houston to Qatar, though, was a bit more drastic in that it was my first time and my family's first time in that part of the world. It was only my dad, my mom, my sister and myself that are in a male dominated society in that the ratio of men to women is at least three to one. And that's really largely in part to foreign workers that come in. And 
then you're in a place with a drastically different climate, a language that you don't understand. And the only time that you kind of feel at least relatively normal is when you're at school. And then even so we're at an American school. So it was a drastic transition from what we'd known before, but because I was in my early teens at that point, it was easy to adapt to the new environment. And then eventually, of course, by the time you have to leave, that's when you love it and you don't want any change at that point. So how long you spent in Qatar before you left for Holland? So I was in Qatar for three years, my first three years of high school. And then I spent one year in Holland before I went off to college. So the three years in Qatar were incredibly exciting in that because we were the only American school in Doha, capital of Qatar, for any school-related events, we had to travel to another country to participate. So, for example, I was on the football team for American School of Doha. And no, please don't get excited. I am not athletic, and nor was I a talented football player. Uh, they didn't have enough girls on the team, and so I got on the team by default because I tried out. For uh, choir, you know, I got to go to different countries for JV and Varsity Academic Bowl. I got to go to Kuwait for Model United Nations. I got to go to China. So that was the exciting part of living at Qatar, that you were kind of easily accessible to other Middle Eastern countries and then the rest of the Eastern world. So we spent a Christmas in Thailand one year. My sister and my mom and my dad vacation in Barcelona, in Turkey. We did our senior trip in Greece. It was things like that that I wasn't privy to when I was in Trinidad and or Houston that kind of opened up a whole new world to me when I was living in Qatar. So you get to have that whole worldview, that whole world mindset. You get a real appreciation for it. It's not just something that you see on a TV screen. Very much so. So, I mean, when we were in Qatar, when we got there in 1999, there was literally one mall and they called it the mall. That was at least the English translation of it. And by the time we left three years later, Qatar was home to the largest mall in the Middle East, um, which Dubai has quickly, you know, surpassed. But that's how quickly things changed in Qatar. That just went to show the amount of money and the amount of wealth and opulence that took place in those countries that they had the financial wherewithal to do whatever they so chose. So that was kind of exciting to see a level of wealth and opulence that is something that I have not seen anywhere else in this planet before. And then you get to Holland and what is that? What is that transition like? So the difference from Qatar to Holland, one, I was going from like my junior year to senior year. So I had one year left in high school. I knew I was going to go off to college. So I didn't really invest that much time in Holland in the sense of, I know it's only going to be one year I'll get to visit, but Holland was incredibly exciting for me in that I could be in a different country once I hopped in a plane. I had more freedoms in Holland, unlike Qatar, to hop on a train and go to school, hop on a bus and go to school, hop on a train and go to a different country. Qatar, not that simple. You kind of had to take a plane. And then two, because of the type of society that was, I didn't really have the freedom to roam and drive and do what I so chose and felt in Qatar. So Holland was incredibly exciting. We lived and went to school in The Hague or Den Haag. And Amsterdam, of course, was relatively close by. So even The Hague was super cool, especially a kid like myself that participated in Model United Nations. And so you had the General Assembly taking place. We got to participate in Kofi Annan at the time when he was a secretary general was in the Holland. We got to do proposals that were then, you know, sent up the chain to the actual UN if they passed. It was kind of cool to experience things like that. 
And then the environment, at least from a school perspective, we had off-campus privileges. So there's a lot of opportunity to roam and explore. So I really enjoyed that as well. Okay. So you spend all this time in these places that are so natural resource rich, so oil rich. You wanted to be an engineer at a point in time, no? There was a point in time when I thought I was rebelling against becoming a doctor and I decided that I wanted to be an engineer. Oh, you wanted to be a doctor at a point in time, too? No, my father wanted me to be a doctor. So I said, no, I'll be an engineer instead because I'm not going to follow your path and your rules. Parents. (laughs) Yeah. All right, but no. (laughs) But then you end up in tech marketing what so the funny part is for a young lady that thought she wanted to be an engineer because as a child i love breaking things apart putting them together i thought i'd become a mechanical engineer because i wanted to be an inventor of things to see that i've ended up in the tech field at least makes me feel better because i know that my affinities as a child and the things that i gravitated towards were not in vain i still have a desire to bring things apart i still have a desire to make things more efficient i'm a problem solver by nature all the qualities that i believed would make me a great engineer until i got to cornell university and realized that none of this interests me whatsoever so Yeah, really a long-winded way of saying, yes, I was going to be an engineer. Life quickly took its turns, and I have then ended up in the tech space, but not from the coding or development side, but really more so from the sales and marketing side. Okay, so you leave, I don't know, this country where there's an opulence of technology and advanced technology and everything. You go to the United States, and you decide, okay, there... That's where you want to study technology because all the time you were thinking about being an engineer. So I, it actually wasn't that seamless. So this is the story of how I got into tech per se. So I was at Cornell. I would say slightly, but very confused as to what my next steps were and what I wanted to do in my life as a young 19 year old turning 20. I can't remember the exact time frame. So I was trying to find a way to make money. So I was known on campus as being a campus hustler in that I had multiple jobs from being a Dell campus rep to an Apple campus rep. I also did like the Kaplan test. You name it, Trina was involved because I was simply. So when you're taking the SATs, Mm -hmm. uh, Kaplan is one of the, you know, testing providers. providers, Right, right, right. right, So they give you the training materials, et cetera. So Kaplan was one. There was a travel agency company called Student Universe at the time that were trying to sell group trips to kids for spring break, things like that. So you name it, I was involved in some hustle, as I called it. But for me, they were opportunities to expand my horizons and figure out what I really wanted to do. So I am in my apartment junior year and I am filling out surveys online and I am simply filling in zip codes or name and zip code, whether it was a one field form up to like more complicated forms where you had to enter a credit card, which I did not have. And for each survey I filled out, I was getting 10 cents to 50 cents. And I was just filling this out, you know, in my free time at whatever random hours I was awake and earning money that way. That was an additional hustle I had. Is that still, is that still open? They actually, it still exists. So that uh, me filling out these surveys and getting paid this 10 cents, I realized, okay, if somebody's paying me 10 cents to fill out a zip code. Somebody else on the other end is getting paid more. 
what is that and what does that mean? So I did my research, thanks Google, and realized that what I was doing was affiliate marketing. I was the end user for affiliate marketing campaigns that were looking to target whether it was home insurance quotes or car insurance. I had neither home nor a car, but I was filling out these surveys anyway. And so that's how I kind of ventured into the affiliate marketing space, predominantly online. And then Craigslist, shout out. I looked into... <laughs> they, they sponsored you because they sponsored me. You'd think, right? I'm shouting out <laughs> Craigslist because that is where for probably the first five years of me being in college and New York that I found most of my jobs. So via Craigslist, I saw different postings for online affiliate management, for online affiliate marketers. And that's kind of the first foray I had into online advertising. So we're talking 2002, 2003, where I am understanding the world of online ads and CPMs and CPCs, CPMs, cost per impression, cost per click. And that was instrumental because when I then moved from upstate New York and Ithaca down to New York City, I had a leg up on other individuals in the space that didn't have a clue what online advertising was. So I was able to secure a job at an affiliate marketing company as an affiliate manager simply because I had an understanding of what online ads were, how much money can actually be made in this space. And it really started with me filling out, you know, zip code forms and getting paid 10 cents per form. So this is great. This is great. So it just goes to show that you could make money online anyhow. Right. So I think we want to break down affiliate marketing one more time. Hmm. Just for people, just in case people want to be like, hey, we're going to start this affiliate marketing thing and no. just make an extra few 10 cents instead of watching <laughs> Netflix or set of scrolling through Instagram or whatever it is. See, so affiliate marketing has, you know, since drastically transitioned from my days of doing it in like 2002. So I started out in the purely online affiliate marketing space that has since expanded to mobile affiliate marketing. And now with, you know, the prevalence of social media it has also expanded there. So just to break down an example, if you have a mobile dating app, for example, OkCupid, I have no affiliation with OkCupid. It's just one of the clients I've worked with in the past. OkCupid is trying to get more users to download their mobile app. So how would they do so? They would go to an affiliate marketing company because the affiliate marketing company would have relationships with different publishers. Publishers are people that have traffic. So I would say, hey, Kevin, I know that you have Caribbean Power Lunch and I know that you have X many viewers or X many viewers are coming and checking out your information via mobile post this ad on your site. So whether from an online or mobile perspective, because the worlds are kind of just blended when it first began, you know, online was very different and very specific than mobile. Right now you can access anything on any device. So the worlds have kind of really blended. I'd say, okay, Kevin, put this ad on your site. And then each time somebody clicks on this ad, we're going to pay you 10 cents, 50 cents, a dollar. And so the more traffic that you have to your site and the more people that are coming on the site be like, oh yeah, you know what? After I listen to Caribbean Power Lunch, I wish I can go on a date with a black business owner. And so they're going <laughs> to click on this ad for OkCupid, for example, and fill out their profile. And whatever else happens is not really of importance. The mere fact that I was watching or consuming Kevin's content on Caribbean Power Lunch and I clicked the ad on his site, I just got him paid. And so he was just paid for the power of his content and for engaging a user on his site to take the required action, which was to download the OkCupid app. So that's kind of a very high level and broad level explanation, really, of affiliate marketing. There's a lot more to it. I hope that was like 
the most basic and generic information. Yeah, no, I, I think that was, that was pretty accessible to the um, to I the hope so. You know, I think so, that was a great example. That's really how the space works. I mean, the the tech world, especially the advertising and the ad tech space, has gotten so much more sophisticated, so much more efficient. It's why Alphabet, and I just uh, read an article. You know, Alphabet has earned thirty seven billion dollars in the past year alone and people are confused it's just like what exactly is google selling i need you to understand how much of that 37 billion chunk is advertising and how google has changed the space just in terms of bringing in dollars from an advertising perspective so when you say alphabet you mean the actual alphabet or Al- mean- well the actual google parent company called alphabet oh okay okay yeah. Yeah. Remember, they, they changed their name because they needed a more all-encompassing name for Google and then all the Google's going to take over the world entities that they have elsewhere. I see. Yeah. Okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> so then you go into content creation, yes. publishing and everything. Yeah, so my experience in the affiliate marketing space then took quickly took a turn into the mobile affiliate marketing space. And it really, that was all because I had a general baseline understanding of advertising, how to sell advertising, what advertisers were looking for in terms of, Hey, we're a new brand. We're trying to get our product, our service in front of this type of audience. Here's the demographics. We need you to sell it. So I ended up in the publishing world because of my understanding of advertising and advertising technology. So I worked for different publications from CFO Magazine, which was a part of the Economist Group. I also worked for a company called Haymarket Media with SC Magazine, which is short for Secure Computing. I barely understood any of the information in that magazine at the time. And then I also most recently worked for a company called MPP Global, which was a technology provider, a SaaS or software as a solution provider for publishing companies that were basically allowing them to create subscription models around their content. Because when I started in the publishing space back in 2007, ad revenues were the largest source of income for many publishers. Because of, you know, the proliferation, just wanted to use a big word, of social media and the access to a lot more content, you know, traditional publishers like your New York Times and your Huffington Post, et cetera, are competing with other information sources that are free. So they have now looked into switching their revenue models from an ad-based revenue model to a subscription-based model. Because what they've realized are that people are willing to pay for quality content. And so that's what, you know, the last company I worked for as a full-time employee, they were looking to solve in terms of providing a solution that allowed for paid content. Okay. So you think people are more comfortable spending money on a regular basis for content as opposed to, you know, trying their best to see how they could kind of stick through the back channel and get it for free. How reliable do you think this subscription model is? So the reason that a company like MPP Global can exist is exactly for that reason. You have people that have found ways to kind of bypass traditional firewalls or paywalls, which is the actual specific term, paywalls in that instance. What is publishers have noticed over these years is that, and you know, which has been, Continued by the America's current president, fake news, it's very hard to get truthful or, and again, truthful is again uh, varied and it depends, to get verifiable 
information from journalistic sources because you have everybody and anybody that can become a content creator, content publisher through platforms like Facebook, Instagram, Medium, you name it. There's opportunities for people to create their own content and for people to read, digest and believe that content. So for your traditional publishing houses like the New York Times, for example, they saw a need to put a premium on their content because they know that they have the the backing, the source, they know that if they're writing an article that has been fact-checked, et cetera. And so people can always look to the New York Times as a verifiable source of factual information. Let's call it factual versus truthful information. And so New York Times actually was one of the first large publishing houses to actually put up a subscription model. And most people believe that millennials or this current generation, because so many things are easily accessible for us and free, would not pay for content. New York Times has proven many others in the publishing space that that is inaccurate, that even millennials in our generation that are used to torrents and that are used to free music and digital downloads and pirating and whatever else we've come up with and created companies around, that we still are willing to pay for quality content. And that goes from publishing to apps to you name it. If we value it and we have trust in it, that we are willing to pay an amount for it. Okay, that's great. So, you know, we're willing to pay for quality content. Okay, so you had several, yes. several jobs in this space, all at pretty senior levels. Before we started recording, it's always something like 17. Yeah, that sounds about accurate. So I have had 17-ish. I only say 17-ish because, again, as super hustler that I am. They have been part times in between here and there. Right. Um, so from the time I moved to New York city, when I first moved to New York city in 2007 and still had a full-time job, I was not able to pay my rent and my other bills. Hello, student loans, Sally, may I see you with the full-time job that I had. So that is when I still had a side job or a side hustle as an affiliate marketer at that time. I was still doing affiliate management on the side as well as going to school full-time, but that's a story for another day. And so in the time that I've been in New York City, I would say I've had around 17-ish jobs. And that is a combination of the crisis and, you know, financial crisis of 2008. That is a combination of working for several startups, some that made it, some that didn't. And then a combination of right company, bad fit, culture clashes, or Trina started her own company and was traveling to Carnival every year and thus got fired when she came back. <laughs> oh, you got fired. Yeah. So there were several instances because when I started Lazy Mass, the concept came to me in 2009, but it didn't have an official name until then. So I attended Trinidad Carnival as an adult for the first time in 2009 and had a blast. Vividly remember being by Port of Spain General Hospital with tribe, seeing confetti in the air and as everybody is whining and dingling and carrying on, I am counting people because I knew if my costume at that time in 2009 cost $600 and I am surrounded by at least 5,000 people, how much money is Tribe making? And then Tribe was not the only band on the road. So within this moment of euphoria, I am like, there is an economic opportunity here. So it was not just dollars and cents to me, but it was also an opportunity. I'm like, yo, I'm having the best time of my life. 
Who can I share this with? How many people can I get to come experience my people, my culture, my island during this time? And so that's where like the spark started. That then, you know, 2009, 2010, I came by myself, you know, by with the guidance of my older cousins. Thank you for them. And then 2011, I then journeyed to bring two of my friends. Two of my friends in 2011 and 2012 turned to 25. 25 turned to 50. And then at that point, I realized, okay, it's about time we make this thing official. Not just because I saw that there was a business model here, but because the IRS came after me because too much money was going through my PayPal account. Uh So, yeah. So that was really... um, I was just about to ask about your 50 friends, but (laughs) when the IRS is on your PayPal now all of a sudden? Yeah. So as if you have a PayPal personal account... And you transact, and we're talking just money to friends and family. If you transact over 20000 U.S. in your account within a fiscal year, the IRS starts paying attention. Anything over $20,000, they start to pay attention. And so at this time, it's my personal account. Again, Lazy Mass is not fully formed. I am simply, you know, taking money from friends, buying FET tickets for them here, paying for costumes, paying balance of costumes. Because back in 2011, the facilities were not in place for people to do this online. 2011, Tribe probably was the only carnival band that had any sort of online payment system. Most events did not have e-ticketing at that point in time. And so I was really providing that bridge for people in the U.S., that we're looking to get things done in Trinidad without having to find a friend and find a family member, be like, Hey, can I Western union you like 600 to a thousand dollars? And you can go and do these things for me and then hope they're done in time. So, okay. So you wouldn't necessarily charge in your friends a premium. You wouldn't profiting off your friends as yet. Not in 2011. So after 2011, when that, you know, four quickly turned to 25 and 25 to 15, I'm like, wait, hold up. Whoa. The IRS is coming after me. And if I get charged my taxes for this, it's a problem. That's when we, legitimized lazy mass as an entity. But even so, it was still, we were going through names at that point. I went through Carnival 365. It was Carnival Maniac, Carnival Around the World. There's a lot of names. But on Carnival Tuesday, 2012, I am standing on the second floor of my sister's apartment as bands are walking past because bands still took that route after the Savannah at that point in time. And my mom is asking me a question. She's like, Trina, why are you paying all this money to play mass when you don't wear half of your costume? And for lunchtime, you come home and you're eating our food and sitting here for like three hours. I'm like, Ma, I'm a lazy masquerader, okay? I just want to put on the costume, take a couple pictures, look cute, wave at a couple people, jam twice, and then come home. And the minute the words lazy masquerader came out my mouth, I knew that was the name of the company. That was my light bulb moment. Yep. And it was that day that Lazy Mass officially was born in regards to the business entity, the name, everything was legitimized and certified in 2012 with our first operating year, Carnival 2013. Okay. So I would say that, I mean, I'm not, I'm not the most popular guy, right? But I'm friendly enough, right? I have enough friends. I don't know if I have 50 friends to take with me to another country on a trip just like that. So how do you go about building that well, not only friend base, but not customer base. So I use the term friends loosely. I'm not not calling out anybody else. I'm simply saying my two friends then knew two other people. And that's how the four to 25 to 50 really grew because it's a matter of, hey, two of my friends, I am about to go secure tickets for Sunnyside at Breakfast Fet. Are you good? Yeah. 
wait, hold up, Trina, before you send that money down to Trinidad, my cousin and his people are going to, can you buy their tickets? Yeah, sure, no problem. So when I say that the, you know, four to 25 to 50 is how Lazy Mask kind of quickly grew, it was a matter of, I was providing a service of, you know, bridging a digital gap. I had an online interface where people could send me money via PayPal. They can put money into my bank accounts based in the U.S. with a simple transaction. And I was able to conduct business for them here in Trinidad without them having to, you know, pay the additional fees of Western Union, et cetera. So the 50 friends this business grew by was really from word of mouth. It was a matter of, hey, we know a Trini girl that's based in the U.S., that goes to Trinidad all the time and she can get carnival stuff done for us. So these fets that you uh, mentioned here, these fets that I see on your website and everything, I can't get tickets for these fets just like that, right? And I live here. <laughs> so how are you with your lazy masquerading self? Yes. Able to get these tickets in these large quantities to serve all these people? So one of the reasons that I kept getting fired from jobs was that when I officially created Lazy Mass, I was flying to Trinidad at least one week every month. And that was how I started. I do have to give props and a shout out to Ricardo, aka Back to Basics, because I saw him in New York in the soca scene, you know, DJing different soca events. And so I asked him to lunch and I'm like, hey, this is my idea. I have a company and I'm looking to really assist people with items that they need for carnival. At the time, I didn't call or consider myself a carnival concierge because I initially was trying to be a digital e-ticketing platform. And we sat down, we had lunch and he said, hey, I'm going to Trinidad in April. So if you're there when I there, I'll link you. <laughs> Literally what he said. So I said, what date are you traveling? He's like, these dates. And that was the first plane ticket I booked in April of 2012. And I just so happened to be in town the same time that he was. And he introduced me to people that he knew in the space. I have to give another shout out to Matthew Dacent. So I had a friend that gave me his contact information. And then went in the first trip when I came to Trinidad in April of 2012, met up with Matthew, who, you know, did Say La Vie, that expanded to Say La Vie, the boat ride, Jetty Jam. He's involved in all these things. And it was really on his, you know, word and his authority of, hey, Trina's my people. This is what she does. She has a carnival concierge service. She needs X to service her clients. And that's really how I started building a network here, you know, off of Trinidadians being interested and excited by me trying to do something different. And then, you know, just lending a hand as simple as, hey, this is so-and-so. This is what they do. Take their number. Give them a call. Because, you know, things in Trinidad only work by who you know and who knows you. So that that's, was really that's what... That's works. Don't, 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 don't come for Trinidad with that, like that. Okay. Don't that noise. Valid and granted. It is so much more important here in Trinidad. Because honestly, when I first started without having the vetted authority from, you know, individuals like Ricardo and Matthew, I was sending emails and saying, hey, I'm bringing a hundred people to Carnival. Can I get no response? <laughs> but the minute, hey, Matthew Dason gave me your number and I need X. Oh, yes, Matthew people. Yeah, sure. Come, we got you. Like it was a drastic difference. And the doors that were open to me because of the big names in the space that I knew, shout out Matthew and Ricardo, was incredibly helpful. And of course, that net, you know, I am 
calling out those two individuals, but there've been so many others in the space that have been so instrumental in Lazy Mass, not only starting, but then continuing to exist seven years later. This where promoters like Michael Seeley, James Caesar with Fuck It, and, you know, We Love Juve. like That's that is PH, like Phuket in Thailand. Right. So those events and those promoters that are tied to the events have really been instrumental in Lazy Mass, you know, really sustaining this long. So I see Lazy Mass has expanded into not only events, but you have costumes, you have juve, transportation, you have concierge. Well, I mean, Lazy Mass is essentially a concierge, right? Lazy Mass started out as a concierge service. We branded ourselves as an a la carte concierge service because in the space at the time when we started, People that were doing carnival related trips, you know, were doing a group package. So it'd be like, hey, here's, you know, from soup to nuts, flights to hotels to five tickets to these events. This is what we offer. So for me, because I had gone to carnival a couple of times, got a kind of feeling of what were the more sought after events, events that I felt that most first timers needed to experience with like Caesar's Army that I went to back in 2012. Those were things that I'm just like, most people may not tell you that these things are happening, they exist. But for me, that's what made my carnival experience unique. So I'm not going to pigeonhole you into, here's what we do. Here's what we like. Try this. I wanted to offer, what do you need? We got it. And that's that's kind of how the concert business started. It has thus expanded into, okay, it started out with Fed tickets. We couldn't get this. It started out with, I can't pay off the deposit or the balance of my costume online to, we need your help getting X. Can you do it? I need a makeup artist on Tuesday at 4 a.m. I need a driver for seven and a half people and from half. Monday. Yeah, just these are the types of requests that we get. And we... <laughs> facilitate these different requests and we get it done for our clients. Okay. So you're essentially like the Caribbean carnival ambassador. That's the goal and the mission. So it really is just being, you know, this verifiable source. Cause what I wanted to accomplish with lazy mass is to really be a vetted and trusted authority because what I have highly sought after events on my site that most people and even local Trinidadians can't get tickets for. And that's from relationships that I've built over the past seven years. There are, you know, open sources where other people are trying to find tickets, X, Y, and Z. And I've heard enough horror stories of people that get ripped off. They pay for X, they don't receive it. There's always some long story. And for me, it really was to try to find a way to create trust and authority in the carnival space where none currently exist. So that's really kind of the overarching mission of Lazy Mass. It really is to be one central, verifiable source where you know that if you send an email, you're going to get a response. If you are looking for certain tickets, if you don't see it on the website, we don't yet have it, request it and we'll work on getting it for you. The gaps that I saw in the marketplace of the time in terms of responsive customer service, in terms of updated information or even providing information, which is hard to find and hard to even have aggregated. Those are the types of things that I saw were needed because if I have a business and I don't know this information, how are first timers going to figure this out? How are foreigners going to figure this out? How are non-trainees going to figure this out? So those are the types of things that I saw were needed and am trying to continue to provide. There have been a, um, in a good bit of carnival concierges yes. popping up. And I don't know if, how many were in existence when you came around. Mm-hmm. I just want to know, like, how do you differentiate from them? Like, what makes people come to Lazy Mass instead? Or is it just that they check everybody and, okay, at least somebody must have it. If it's Lazy Mass, then it's 
somebody else. You see how I didn't mention anybody else? Yes. You see how I did that? <laughs> so there are, again, there has been a drastic increase in the amount of carnival concert services that exist now as opposed to when I started back in 2011, possibly 2012. And this is not saying that carnival concert just didn't exist at that time. Again, from the research that I did back in 2012, the people that were doing carnival-based trips were doing it kind of as a group package as opposed to a la carte services. You then saw an increase in other carnival businesses providing a la carte services. What do you need? Fed tickets, costumes, et cetera. We can assist with that. So... In 2015, you know, seeing that different event promoters have gotten on the train and it happened earlier than 2015. It's just this is my marking point. Um, in 2015, we had several e-ticketing providers at that point in time. So you can mostly get Trinidad Carnival Fed tickets online. So that initial problem that I have of, you know, an e-ticketing platform solved, didn't need to switch the business in that formation. A lot of the bands started coming online in terms of offering online payments. So Tribe was no longer the only one. You know, Yuma came on board. Island People at the time when it existed, shout out IP, had a payment processing online or they had some way, shape or form that you can do it. So the digital gap that was initially the problem that I was trying to solve was slowly being integrated and utilized. So you kind of saw that happening. So for me in 2015, I saw an opportunity to kind of highlight local vendors at each carnival. So 2015, I vividly remember that there was a Monday wear show that took place that I believe was put on by Initiate Novelty. And for me, that was great because it highlighted different local costume designers, artisans, stylists on a massive stage in Trinidad. And because I'm paying attention, I knew that this, you know, Monday wear showcase was happening, but others didn't. And so in the different travel groups that I participate in, travel forums, carnival specific travel groups that I participate in, you kind of see similar questions being asked. And I'm like, how can I then highlight and provide additional income sources to local Monday wear designers, costume designers in general, transportation providers. If, for example, Carnival is not your thing and you decide that you want to become a driver for the Carnival Week, this is an additional source of revenue for you. So how can I create a system that allows me to support local, hashtag, my favorite one, and then also provide a digital platform to do so and then bridge a gap because if you are a costume designer, marketing may not be your thing. So how can I bridge that gap for you? How can I provide value to you to get you in front of a larger audience? So knowing that Lazy Mass is a predominantly North American as well as European audience of customers, I wanted to provide a system to say, hey, if you're based in Trinidad, I want to support you and I can get you in front of this large audience of carnival goers. I know how many times they've been to carnival, how many things they purchased through Lazy Mass, what do they like to frequent, are they in need of a carnival costume or Monday way or whatever it may be, and I can kind of bridge that gap between the vendors and the customers. So that's when Lazy Mass, the carnival marketplace, really was born. And that's when I started pivoting the company from a carnival concierge service to really a digital platform for carnival. So you mentioned that most of your clientele is from North America and Europe, but do you also have like an age range breakdown too? Or is it just kind of spread out? So 25 and over. Yeah. So in terms of the carnival demographic, I mean, Carnival and kind of Caribbean culture in general is very unique in that this is the only culture I know of from a fetting perspective or partying perspective where you will see a range of ages. So I definitely went to a fet with my pops this carnival season. My dad is 62. 
Shout out, Pops. But the age range, to answer your question, the age range of Lazy Mass, you normally see Carnival Go is starting around 24, 25, and that's usually when they graduate from college. Yeah. One, because Carnival, especially Trinidad Carnival, is by no means an inexpensive endeavor. And so, one, it's a financial situation <laughs> where you will you kind of have to be a little bit older unless you're just independently wealthy and thus you're partying through college and doing that so the age range i use the earliest i've seen or the youngest i've seen is really from 23 24 and i have clients well within their 60s the sweet spot in regards to kind of the average lazy mass customer really is between the ages of 27 and 45 so it is still a large age demographic so I think right now the listeners are probably fearful that, hold on, is this company only in operation for like three to six months a year? Because Trinidad Carnival, by the time you reach mid-March, you're done. So what does Lazy Mass do th- throughout the year? So we started out again in our home country of Trinidad and focusing on Trinidad Carnival. So when we pivoted the company to a multi-vendor marketplace, We kind of started from scratch, really, but not really. We still provide concert services to our clients that have been rocking with us since 2013 and then expanding the services to new vendors. So we're signing up new vendors daily in different spaces across our eight different categories. And so while some others may only be in operation for three to six months, and again, for those that are actually in the carnival space know that that timeline is year round, We Trinidad Carnival, yes, may be an operational timeline of six months because it certainly is not three. But then we've also expanded to additional carnivals. So we do Trinidad Carnival as well as Jamaica, Barbados, and then our local or stateside carnivals are New York, Toronto and Miami. So we are pretty busy carnival wise year round, even though each carnival that we you know service does have varying seasons from a timeline of three to six months. You know, just before we we um, came to the cabin studios and I picked you up, we were listening to another podcast and they were talking about they were contrasting. <laughs> at you. They were contrasting the carnival in Brazil and the carnivals in the Caribbean. But I mean, I don't want to make that contrast. What I want to contrast is the carnivals stateside. Mm. You know, the North America, the Miami, maybe even the London. Mm. I don't know if you. I've... Yeah. Okay. <laughs> How does that compare to the Caribbean carnivals? So I think there's uh, something unique about the Caribbean carnivals. And I preface that with saying that Lazy Mass's mission is to service every Caribbean-based carnival around the diaspora. And so the reason that I differentiate Caribbean-based carnival is that our carnival is uniquely different from Mardi Gras, is uniquely different from Rio. And so... (laughs) That is something that I want to highlight because our carnivals are participatory. Our carnivals are much more involved. You can get you, you know, come participate whether you're playing mass or not, as opposed to not to say Mardi Gras isn't, but there's a different feel. There's a different vibe. It, It stems from a central place, but it's still uniquely different. And then even so, because, you know, North American carnivals are spawned from foreign nationals that, you know, missed home, they have a different feel. They operate differently in that, you know, New York's carnival, Atlanta's carnival, Miami's carnival have to operate under American laws as opposed to Caribbean laws where we are allowed to drink in the streets and the entire country is involved in these celebrations because it is, you know, an ingrained part of our culture. New York, if you are not of West Indian heritage, or even if you don't live in Brooklyn, there's many people that don't know 
what the West Indian Labor Day parade is about, when it takes place, what's really going on. And this is New York City, which is, you know, one of the more culturally diverse places that I've lived. So for stateside carnivals, you know, New York, Toronto, Atlanta, Miami, and, you know, Hollywood is a recent addition. There's Philly carnivals. There's a lot of North American Caribbean-based carnivals, but they vary in other than, you know, having to abide by American-based laws, i.e. there's no open container laws with the exception of Miami, so you can't drink in the streets. There isn't that energy and feel and excitement because the majority of the people that exist there are either unaware or they don't participate in the carnival. So like you don't get that, like the minute you touch down in Trinidad for carnival, there's a different energy in the air. There's a feel, you know, people are filling out their immigration forms with reason for visit carnival to <laughs> pick up something and run with it. You know, like yeah. we, that is just a part of the culture. You know exactly why you're touching down. Like you can go to Atlanta for Memorial Day weekend. And if you are a person of color, they'll, would still question why you're there. You just come in to visit Atlanta for Atlanta's sake, or are you here for the carnival? It isn't like an automatic assumption. It's like, yeah, you here for carnival. Like it, that's, it's not part of the fabric of society there. So that's kind of what makes these North American carnivals a little bit different. And what is so special and unique about a Caribbean carnival. And I'm not just talking Trinidad. If you land in Barbados during the first week of August, you know what it is. You know what it's about. <laughs> the entire, no, you go downtown and, you know, you're seeing people in the streets and the vendors are setting up their booths and the foreigners are coming in town. You can always pinpoint foreigners no matter which Caribbean island you're in. It's yeah, hilarious. But, but you, <laughs> there is a different energy in the air because of Carnival being such an integral part of the culture. So, Yeah, yeah, for real, for real. So tell me something, like how applicable is what you're doing to, let's say, the North American or the person in Ibiza, wherever it is, mm. or somebody setting up for Coachella, any other kind of festival, EDM, anything? So Carnival, yes, is a festival in and of itself. Um, these are the things, because I did try myself to identify what makes a Carnival special. So for me, the music is one. If soca music is not involved, it's not a Carnival. I have... No qualms about that. I will say that. I will tattoo that on my body. I'm kidding. But the ingredients that make up a carnival as a festival is soca music, masqueraders, and that is from Pretty Mass to Juve. I do think that Juve is an integral part of a carnival celebration, even though they are some Caribbean diasporic carnivals that do not have a Juve per se. And then Pan, which again is part of the music. So when I say soca music, I do have Pan involved in that. So those are kind of the ingredients that I believe are integral to differentiating Carnival as a festival from any other festival. So like, I mean, because I've done the Ibiza, I have done Greece and the party scene there. When people are going to, and I've done Afropunk as an example too. Those festivals, while they are exciting and bring people together in amazing ways and it's all about love and, you know, culture and energy, they cannot replace, they cannot get close to a carnival just in terms of what our festival is uniquely about. Like the meaning of carnival to me is freedom in its entirety, in all aspects. So if there isn't that central like crux of this is about freedom, this is about freedom of expression, freedom of anything you so choose and desire, 
that's kind of which is like, okay, this isn't a jazz festival. This isn't Coachella. This isn't any other music festival around any other sort of music. Carnival is carnival based on these ingredients, you know, comprising of the music, the masqueraders, pretty enjuve. And like that underlying tone of like, this is about freedom in all ways, shapes and forms. So that's, those are like my unique carnival ingredients. Right. All right. I get you. Yeah. In terms of the actual lazy mass concierge business model, is that easily applicable to Coachella or anything? Or is that already something that's implemented for these festivals where they, they say, okay, we get these tickets for you. You pay us this little premium and that's it. So is your model something that you kind of just, I got it from worldwide mm. and just say, okay, let's apply this carnival. Good question. Now I would say yes and no from, and you specifically asked a question, the lazy mass concierge model. So the lazy mass concierge model, yes, applies to different types of festivals. Cause to be quite frank for me, once the model of carnival was kind of tried and tested at the biggest carnival that I service, which is Trinidad, I was like, this is replicable to different islands. And of course, again, with the, you know, caveat that Caribbean based carnivals, I'm not servicing Rio, I'm not servicing Mardi Gras, I'm not servicing other types of festivals, but the carnival marketplace model. So this is in addition to or more encompassing than the concierge model is easily replicable for festivals. So when it comes to festivals like Coachella, when it comes to festivals like Burning Man, you can Go at it yourself when tickets, you know, become available and they go fast for Burning Man, especially still trying to get there Buy the tickets. And then you set up camp for yourself. So this and I'm speaking about Burning Man in particular, you set up camp, you have your group of people and you guys are like living in your camp and you're basically bringing everything with you and taking it with you that there are concierges that service like a Coachella, i.e. we can get you into the VIP parties, we can do X, we can do Y for you, yes. So the Lazy Mass concierge model, yes, is applicable to many other types of festivals. I didn't particularly get the model from others and then applied it to Carnival. I kind of had to figure out the Carnival model first and then realize that it was applicable to other types of festivals. And with that being said, when it comes to Lazy Mass, whether concierge model or marketplace model, I'm still trying to service the Caribbean in general. So like everything that I do, all the businesses that I have, I am in some way, shape or form trying to make the Caribbean better, unify the Caribbean, however you want to phrase that and whatever hashtaggy way you so choose. Because for me, One Caribbean, yeah, we can do that too. Caribbean strong. Caribbean unity, however you like to phrase that. For me, it is about, I am a child of the Caribbean. The most interesting part to me when I, you know, stumbled randomly on a Carnival Tuesday into this Carnival space and realized that this was kind of my life's mission and work is that... It's your life's mission. Yeah. Well, my life's mission and work is to live better through technology. That's kind of my personal mantra. It's like the name lazy mass, which most people are just like, Oh, like we just heard the word lazy. We didn't pay attention to anything else. For me, lazy mass is about making things efficient. Like I can afford to be lazy. And this is from the customer's perspective. I can afford to be lazy because this process has been made so seamless, so efficient. I really, it's thoughtless at this point. What I need to do, I simply click and, you know, carnival is a click away for me as a Caribbean child at heart, knowing that my, Parents are from here. My grandparents, my ancestral roots are here. And yes, I'm not taking this back to the original point of Africa. I'm simply saying that with this being my heritage, I want to 
unify the Caribbean and kind of bridge the digital gap that people have experienced and see when they, you know, go outside of the Caribbean. I want to bring that information and technology and services back home to the Caribbean in totality, not just Trinidad. So I know that was a little tangent and we got a little off kilter there, but that really like that to me, when I realized that carnival takes place in every Caribbean island. Now, mind you, this is back in 2009. I was younger than I was now. It was such a light bulb moment for me. It was like, yo, like there is something that unifies the Caribbean. Like this, <laughs> this is my initial one Caribbean notion. It's like there is a carnival in every Caribbean island. Unity said in my Dave Chappelle voice. But um, <laughs> okay, my Rick James Dave Chappelle voice. Oh, my Dave Chappelle Rick James voice. Anyway, tangent. Gina, you're um, doing everything right now. <laughs> I am. But that for me was really an eye-opening moment as to how am I going to be not just a Trinidadian woman, but a Caribbean woman. So those are some of the things that drive me other than being a technologist and gadgeteer. Well, I mean, you speak about being a Caribbean woman and everything, right? Well, this brings us to your other business, Nerdy Accent. No, I love your names, huh? I love your business Why, names. thank you. Lazy Mass, Nerdy Accent. I mean, I have a hunch, but how did you come up with the name Nerdy Accent for your digital media agency? So, Kevin, it came to me in a dream. Um, <laughs> that's actually serious, though. So, I had a dream two years ago, and I did not write the dream down, which is sad, but... From what I remember of the dream, I was having a conversation with another being. I don't know if it was human. And then this being said to me, it's like, your accent's nerdy. Now, I have already been told because I've lived in so many countries and I've traveled the world and experienced so many things. And I also watched too much TV as a child and picked up accents from TV shows, Martin in particular. I've already been told, you know, that your accent... It can't be placed. You have a twang, whatever it may be. So it's very interesting that I had a dream with another being and they said that your accent's nerdy. And from that, I woke up and I'm like, nerdy accent. That is legitimately how I came up with the name. That's it. It came to me in a dream. And I then named my digital agency Nerdy Accent. So I've, again, from my previous life of working as an employee for others, I've worked at different startup companies and worked at different agencies, for example. And I always love the fact that in the startup space, unlike the corporate world where, you know, it's Trina Delandro Enterprises or Trina Delandro Solutions, like all these very generic and bland names that the startup space were shaking things up by calling things random stuff. Like I worked for a company called Rumble, affiliate marketing network called Wodogepa, which was all made up. And so for me to name my digital marketing agency, Nerdy Accent, kind of just seemed like an easy decision. But Trina, what if when Nerdy Accent becomes a Fortune 100 company? No one had a problem with the name Google, did they? They did not. Too shit. <laughs> and it's apparently it's owned by a company called Their Alphabet. Their parent company is now called Alphabet. Yeah, Google so. is one of the companies that Alphabet owns. So was it Wotopepa? Was it? Wotogepa. Yeah, Wotogepa. It was two guys in the country in Canada that I'm sure were surrounded by trees and moose and they named their affiliate marketing company Wodogepa. This was the company that I worked for when I first moved to New York City and that was how I was able to pay my rent even with a full-time job. The rents are too high in New York City. Just saying. 
Okay. All right. So Moody Accent helps people. Well, there's a digital media agency specializing in the Caribbean diaspora. That's it? That is correct. So kind of the description for Nerdy Accent is that we were founded in Brooklyn with our heart in the Caribbean. My goal is really to bring my expertise and understanding across the advertising world, across the marketing world, and apply that to Caribbean-based companies. So I started here. I can't you know, tell you the company's name, but the time that I spent outside of the carnival season in Trinidad has really been reaching out to different uh, companies from enterprises to small to medium businesses that I believe can benefit from a proper marketing strategy in the digital space uh, for some, you know, making their first foray into the digital space and then bringing a comprehensive strategy to that. And that is beyond just you know, have an Instagram and Facebook page and go there. We're talking um, whether you need a website. When Do you actually know what SEO is and an understanding of that? Are you doing any sorts of tracking? And uh, do you have any data around who your customer set are? Do you know who's visiting your website? Who's visiting your social media pages? If you are a blogger, do you know what uh, your demographic is and where most of the traffic to your website comes from? Is it social referrals? Is it Instagram in particular versus Pinterest versus Twitter. Those are the types of things that I'm looking to bring in place for businesses that I see have, you know, massive potential and are doing exciting things for the Caribbean that I feel can benefit from, you know, a comprehensive digital marketing strategy. So that's the other mission that I have that is outside of the carnival space. Now, you did a presentation last year on targeting millennials and I, I always love to give the audience some sort of practicals right mm. so you gave some lovely tips for targeting millennials you spoke about leveraging technology content is key utilizing social media influencers can you just kind of expound on that a little bit certainly so the presentation that kevin's referring to i was the Featured speaker at the Caribbean Tourism Organization's Caribbean Week, which takes place in the first week of June, which is a great event for folks to attend if you are in the tourism space, if you have any sort of business that is targeting the Caribbean or trying to get people to the Caribbean. Caribbean Week is a great way to meet the appropriate stakeholders in that space. We have ministers of tourism from most of the member organizations of the CTO. And so as a featured speaker last year, they were looking to have a greater understanding as to how to get more millennials to travel to the Caribbean and different, and of course, individual Caribbean islands as destinations, since there's this cover, this current sentiment of, oh, Dubai is it. Let's all go there. How is Dubai able to market sand when we have sun, sea, and all the sand you can want on beaches right here in the Caribbean? It's a shorter distance. How can we get millennials to travel to different Caribbean islands? And so the presentation that I did was really speaking to these different Caribbean stakeholders, including ministers of tourism, as to what is necessary to capture a millennial's attention, what it is they like to do once they get to these destinations and how they can best market their natural assets of sun, sea and sand and rum <laughs> and rum. parties to this millennial audience. So that's kind of just an overall view of what the presentation was about and how to really leverage social media in general to get millennials interested in these different destinations. So how do you get millennials interested in Caribbean destinations though? Well, before getting them interested, it was how are 
tourism entities or tourism organizations currently promoting their island. Like we still have lots of travel agent shows and there's a lot of physical brochures and in some instances, websites that nobody has visited in years or updated in years. Social media is where it's at. Of course, millennials are the ones that created, invented, and thus are largely using social media. So for me, in the focus of this presentation was letting folks know, do you currently have social media properties? Let's start there. What does your Facebook page look like? We're starting with basics here, folks. Do you have an Instagram page? What does that look like? What are you highlighting? Are you highlighting your cultural tours that are more inclined to a demographic of baby boomers? Or are you highlighting your nightlife and your adventure activities for a younger subsect? And this is not to say and, you know, segment that baby boomers aren't interested in adventure. I'm simply, you know, providing some generals. So that was first and foremost. And then After, you know, providing them with the basics as to what are you playing in the space where millennials are? Because the first thing is you have to reach them where they are. And if they're on social, then you need to be on social. Who's involved in your team that's, you know, getting you involved in social? After that, in terms of promoting your destinations, what are you choosing to highlight on these social platforms for millennials? Are you showing your Instagrammable moments? Like, for instance, in the presentation I gave, I explained that I keep seeing pictures of Instagram women, mostly women, models in most instances that are our Dun River Falls and looking super awesome in some sponsored bikini. And I'm like, hey, next time I go to Jamaica, I want to go to Dun River Falls and take a picture and put it on my Instagram and see how many likes I get. So that to say, what are their Instagrammable moments? What things, activities, features in your unique island do you have that people are going to want to flock to when dubai has so many people coming there now because it's now you know a very featured wanted destination the people visit they want to take pictures on a camel they want to take pictures in the sand on sand dunes they want to take pictures in an abaya or you know the head wrap and the full outfit those are the types of things that people know hey i'm going to dubai these are pictures that i have to get for the gram so that's something that I translated as like, how can you translate that to people or to millennials for Instagram? You Instagram models are always on the beach somewhere in a very cute, usually bikini. Um, <laughs> there's excessive amounts of sun, sea and sand. Are you highlighting the events? I mean, Carnival is an excellent way for whichever island that you have to highlight the fun things to do at your Caribbean island destination. So those are the types of things that I just highlighted in this presentation as ways to entice and engage millennials and get them to say, hey, that's a great shot. I want it on my Instagram. Let me go there and do that. A great point you made in that presentation is on using peer-to-peer content and personal storytelling. People trust their friends or their network more than some random sponsored ad that seems inauthentic with, you know, a guy in a suit with a Ferrari in the background that he rented for, for the video shoots and everything. Can you just expound on that one? Surely. So in regards to peer-to-peer content, for me, it was a matter of the same way that many non-West Indian people get to Carnival because they know a Trini person that went and they saw their pictures. It was actually the reason that I decided to come to Carnival for my first time in 2009. My older cousin had been going for years. I happened to be over at his mom's house. And as he was going through his Carnival pictures, I'm like, yo, 
that looks like the best time ever. And mind you, these aren't even Facebook pictures. He was taking all the images off of his, you know, camera at the time and putting it in his computer. And that's how I decided I wanted to go to Carnival. Like Carnival's not missing me next year because that costume is awesome. Every picture you're in, you look like you're the happiest you've ever been in your life. I want to experience that. So I use the example of Carnival in that presentation as to most people get there from word of mouth. They've seen the experience from a friend of theirs. And and then the friend is, of course, it's the best time ever. You're never going to experience anything else like it in your life. You have to come. That's how people are enticed to come to Carnival. And it's the same thing for different Caribbean destinations. Hey, I went to the Bahamas and I was on Nassau. And let me tell you, I had the best conch fritters of my life here. You have to taste it. If seafood is your thing, I went parasailing in, you know, Turks and Caicos and I was so scared, et cetera. But check out these videos like it was so much fun. So for me as a millennial, I know that I would trust my peer group more. It's again, social networking kind of exploded because of that. We are more inclined to take the recommendations of somebody that we know or somebody that we believe to be within our peer group is why social media influencers exist because we have gotten so blind to regular advertising that initially was just, you know, speaking to us instead of having a conversation with us. And so that's kind of, you know, shifts that happened in the advertising and marketing space that apply to social in particular. It's a matter of, hey, I would rather hear what Fets Kevin went to for Carnival as opposed to going to Trinidad Carnival's, you know, TNT Discover, and I'm seeing a list of fets and I choose it myself. Like, we would rather hear recommendations from our friends. And so that is a very long-winded version of expanding on (laughs) peer-to-peer recommendations. It's really interesting how you're able to use technology to connect to your home country Mm. and make that passive income stream for yourself where, you know, again, where the IRS has to come for you. Yes. <laughs> so Trina, I want to know what's next though, because you seem to be a master at online marketing, digital strategy and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So I want to know like what's next for Lazy Mass or just the broader Trina Delandra, because I know Lazy Mass is just one part of it. That's a nerdy accent. What's so what's my five-year plan? I'm kidding. Um, so, <laughs> Not your what's, five-year plan. <laughs> so what's next for me? Again, um, my personal mission and mantra in life is to live better through technology. And I want to do that starting first with self, family, and community. And that my community being the Caribbean community, I want to see how I can make things better, make things more efficient through technology. So Lazy Mass being a major aspect of that we are in the development stages of expanding the marketplace so we have test run for the past two trinidad carnivals a certain platform with a focus on carnival vendors so that they can then post their own wares so making that process for them much more efficient to get their products and services in front of a larger audience so lazy mass is in next stages of development so we are uh, working towards a 2020 Trinidad Carnival deadline of an open marketplace for carnival vendors and service providers. So look out for a larger offering for Trinidad Carnival 2020. And that is, again, across our eight categories of costumes, event tickets, juve, transportation, accommodations, concierge services, pickup and delivery. And I'm sure I'm forgetting one in there, but you can check it out on the website. Next up, nerdy accent, because again, there is, you know, things that take place outside of Carnival. 
for the digital agency, it really is uh, tapping in to more Caribbean entities. We have started and focused predominantly in the travel and tourism space to begin with because it's kind of a direct offshoot of Lazy Mass, but really expanding that into more genres or categories, really. So we have, I mean, from my past experience in the tech space, you know, I've worked with clients in a variety of industries from, you know, media and entertainment to real estate to, you know, health and pharma, education, ed tech, fintech, you name it, kind of worked at a company that does it. So it really is looking for these up and coming businesses here in Trinidad that are doing new, exciting and innovative things. And then, you know, trying to partner with them from a marketing standpoint. So, you know, offering nerdy accents, digital marketing services to these companies. So that's the two-sided plan for now with Nerdy Accent and Lazy Mass. That's awesome, Trina. Where can we find you? I don't understand the question, Kevin. Online, Trina. <laughs> Online. We know you can't find you in New York. You know, you're somewhere that in the That was Caribbean. exactly the point because I'm never in one place too long. That's why I didn't understand the question. It's like, do you mean where I'm physically going to be next week? Because that's a good question. I don't know. Where I can be found online is at lazymass.com. You can also find me via any social media channel, but lazymass.com is your best bet. Okay, okay, that's it. Okay. That's it. (laughs) All right, is there anything else, anything that we haven't covered today that you want to make sure to get out to the audience? One Caribbean. So I have a secret desire to become a soca artist and have a duet with Kess. Then Bungie. Two separate songs. Just thought I'd say. Or to have a Bungie and Kess collab. That's just my personal personal wish. Soka gods. Soka mafia. Make it happen. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so serious though. Podcast World. There you have it. Living better through technology with Trina Delandro. Subscribe to Caribbean Power Lunch at CaribbeanPowerLunch.com slash subscribe. Check us out on CastBox, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And with that, Trina... Kevin. Thank you for being here. Of course. Thank you for having me. This is what happens when I give people too much rum to drink. You know, this is exactly <laughs> what happens. Oh my God, these lightweights. Podcast World, Cabin Studios, we are out.